Hello, and welcome to the Purdue AggieCon podcast, the podcast for experts and innovators in agriculture. I'm Haley Fisher. On today's episode, Dr. Foster and I talked to Dr. Keithy about the field of farmland economics and his recent report on the farmland value and cash run survey. Stay tuned. Hello, you're listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Foster, Professor in Agricultural Economics here at Purdue University. And with me is my co-host, Haley Fisher. And Haley is a junior in Agricultural Economics. Haley, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you doing, Mr. I, Foster? I'm doing great. I'm glad to be back for another semester here at Purdue. Um, but before we you know, kick off our first podcast, I just wanted to catch up with you a little bit and maybe catch our listeners up with your summer. I yes. understand you spent the summer in uh, in the nation's capital. I did. I worked for USDA this summer, specifically the Foreign Ag Service and Global Programs. Oh, that must have been exciting because I know you have interest in, you know, global issues. So can you tell us maybe a little bit what that entailed being on an internship at uh, Foreign Ag Service? Yeah, so we worked with fellows um, across the globe on creating policy initiatives for their country. So specifically, the Dominican Republic was a hot topic with their sanitation issues. So yeah, it was great. That's fantastic. So does this spark your interest in traveling to the Dominican Republic, or have you been there before? I have been there twice, but I would love uh, to go again. <laughs> okay. To the beaches, or did you experience the agriculture of Dominican Republic. The agriculture, actually, I went on a missions trip. So oh, that's great. Yep. Fantastic. Well, yep. that's exciting. I'm, I'm really happy to have you back, though, here at Purdue again. Well, we have a, a guest with us today, and that guest is Dr. Todd Keithy. Dr. Keithy is professor in agricultural economics, and he also holds the Schrader Chair in Farmland Economics. Todd, how are you doing? Good. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's good to have you. And, and uh, if I remember correctly, you're a Purdue alum. I am. So I got my PhD in the department in 2009, and then I've been back on campus about three years. So I was gone about a decade before Purdue pulled me back. How'd you feel that 10 years away from beautiful West Lafayette? So I also was in uh, Washington, D.C., worked for the USDA, um, the Economic Research Service, which is uh, specialized sort of like a think tank in economic policy and research uh, within the USDA. Um, I was there for about four years, and then I went to the University of Illinois doing uh, Research and extension teaching split similar to here, but at, at the University of Illinois. Oh, fantastic. So where did the interest in farmland economics come from for you? Oh, so that's a really good question. And I'll go ahead and say it on recording, I guess, which is when I was in graduate school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do, uh, what I wanted to study. I was somebody who's kind of interested in a little bit of everything. And so what people like that tend to do is I studied empirical methods, so just how to do financial analysis, how to do statistical analysis with economic data. And I was working on uh, a lot of stuff dealing with, uh, so my sort of area of interest was in land economics generally, so a lot of stuff on residential real estate. And uh, prices and uh, price movements, that was around the time of the financial crisis, start of the financial crisis and the housing price decline. So there's a lot of really interesting modeling stuff going on there. And when I was coming out of Purdue, I there weren't a lot of jobs. 2009 was a terrible time for jobs. And I was fortunate I went to a job interview at the Economic Research Service. And the guy, Jim Johnson, who hired me, uh, said, well, you know, anybody that comes from Purdue, I, I always want to interview. 
And he said, tell me what you've worked on. I told him a little bit. And he said, well, would you be willing to study farmland prices? And I was like, if you'll give me a job, I'll do it. I'll start right now. <laughs> and so that's how I got into farmland prices. I was interested just generally in land prices and land, land economics, land use issues. Um, and so they had a real need for farmland. And then when I was at USDA, TIA CREF gave a gift to the University of Illinois to start a farmland research center and just study farmland. So along the way, just uh, there seems to be such an interest in farmland that just kind of it matched my my baseline interests, but then there's always there's always interesting topics in the in the area. So well, this is what I tell my students. You know, just stay curious, and doors will open, and the curious people will step through them and find great opportunities. So it's good to hear. Yeah, li living that dream. Yeah, and I, I think um, the other thing too is like you know we're economists. We believe in markets, and and the market will tell you what what they're interested in you doing, right? And so you have to figure out the sort of medium between your baseline interest and then sort of what the market would like you to do. And if, if anytime there can be a little bit of a synergy there, it's makes, makes it easy to have a career. So speaking of markets, your farmland report got posted this past month. Could you tell us a little bit about the research behind that and what you're doing? Yeah. So, uh, farmland is a really important asset to the ag sector. Um, here in Indiana, it's about 80% of the value of the balance sheet or the assets on the balance sheet. So if you think about the assets that a farm owns, about 80 cents of every dollar is dedicated to land. The census of agriculture suggests that uh, the average farm in Indiana owns $1.7 million of farmland. So it's key to the financial health of the farm sector. At the same time, there was, there was a lot of periods where there just wasn't good information about farmland. As, a very thin market um, a lot of places you can't access transactions like you can so in indiana now at one time indiana had a non-disclosure so that wasn't public information but now you can look that up um, and so in the mid 70s you have to remind me who was it uh atkinson i think jake atkinson yeah started a survey of farmland professionals around the state so brokers, appraisers, farm managers, people who touch farmland as part of their daily life, right? So lenders in there as well. And just surveyed them about, you know, what are you seeing about farmland in your area? And Craig Dobbins managed a survey for a lot of years. I took it over uh, this summer. Um, and so we asked these professionals for what's going on in your area, what's going on in your county. And then we summarized that up into regions in the state and statewide. And so it's a really good piece of historic information. So it's good that we keep that up. Um, and it fills a, a there's some things that the survey can give us that things like transaction data can't get us. And transaction data is so hard to get anyway. Uh, and so it's, it provides a really nice uh, sort of background. And then we ask them a lot of things that, you know, surveys tell us a lot better, like what factors are important right now? Um, who do you see that's buying the land? Um, what do you see in terms of the, the amount for sale compared to other years? Those are the kind of things you get from subjective surveys a lot better. Um, so that's kind of the research behind it and the, and the motivation of why we do it. So what are you seeing? What's the kind of takeaway message from this year's survey? Well, so the big headline is that we have a new record high in farmland prices. So, you know, farmland prices have been, have, you know, went up basically. Uh, um, so the USDA started recording farmland prices um, consistently in the 1800s. Over that period, farmland prices usually keeps pace with inflation, a little bit ahead of inflation in terms of farmland growth. We've had a few periods of very pronounced growth and decline, right? So there's the 1930s, around the 1930s, sort of Dust Bowl, Great Depression era, and then the early 1980s, farm financial crisis, 
another pre-war price has shot up and then collapsed. And then we saw another boom sort of around 2007 to eight with commodity prices being very high, interest rates very low, farmland prices shot up again. And then they started to moderate about 2014. So prices fell a little bit and kind of plateaued a little bit. And then over the last two years, we've now seen growth again. So we're nominally up above what we saw in 2014. So I say nominal meaning the price that we see in the marketplace. Uh, but when we control for inflation, it's actually just below what we saw in 2014. What's the big driver of the recent increase? So the, the short answer is everything. Um, so there's a lot of things that we think about in terms of how farmland prices are, are determined in the marketplace. The first thing we look at is what, what are the returns to ownership? So what's farm income? What are commodity prices? Um, you know, how much revenue can you generate from farmland? And all of those things are, are up compared to what they were over the last few years, especially you know, thinking about you know, the start of the growing season with commodity prices uh, coming up really high again. And then the other part of it is we have to pay for things that we, you know, we make large purchases, we tend to put, you know, through mortgage. And so we look at things like interest rates. Interest rates, again, are very low. So they've been low since about 2008 or nine. The Fed had been kind of increasing those over time. And then with the start of the coronavirus, they back the rates back down. And the markets also lowered short-term bond rates, mortgage rates fell. And so the cost of borrowing went down. Um, so basically all of the things that would put pressure now are putting positive pressure. Where if, just within you know, just two years ago, mortgage or interest rates were still relatively low, but the returns were low and we were having trade disruptions, signs that like we might be under a continued downward income pressure for a while. And now everything's sort of pointing signs to positive, so uh, prices have responded. Dr. Keithy, you listed a variety of factors that influence the rise of farmland prices. Is this normal to see this many avenues create this pressure? It's, it's rare to see everything pushing positive at the same time, mm -hmm. right? And, and so we tend to see sort of, you know, things are being up or down. And the other thing is it's not just about, I talked earlier about kind of where things are kind of in the level. But it's also about what is our anticipation in the future. And so when we had the very high commodity prices uh, from like 2007 to 13, 14, nobody really thought that was going to be permanent, right? So they weren't willing to kind of bid that in. Or when we had very low interest rates, people were like, well, the Fed's got to raise the rate at some point. It's got to raise it at some point. And so there was always this kind of pressure of like, this is going to reverse in the future. And so kept prices at bay. But at least in terms of like interest rate policy, it, it doesn't seem like we're going to see a drastic rise in, in, in the near term at all, I don't think. So at, at risk of violating sort of a basic tenet, when I, when I first got to Purdue, Professor Earl Butts still kept some office hours here in Craner, and I remember him pulling me aside one time and he said, uh, give him a forecast or give him a year, never give him a forecast and a year. <laughs> but how do you see this progressing? I mean, is this kind of positive, overwhelmingly positive pressure on farmland prices likely to continue? Or is it like a alignment that has to reverse? Well, I don't think necessarily anything sort of has to reverse. I mean, we're already seeing commodity prices moderate a little bit. You know, and we, depending on the commodities, we look at what we think about, you know, we were, we were fortunate that the drought didn't move as far west into the Corn Belt or east into the Corn Belt as we had sort of feared at times. So there are a lot of things sort of where I think commodity prices, farm incomes, uh, I mean, there's some optimism there, but I don't think it'll be like 
going gangbusters, right? It's not like we should buy farmland to flip because it's going to make so much money in the next two years or something. Like, as far as Fed policy, that's where, like, in, in what markets are doing in terms of setting mortgage rates and discount rates, I still think we're under a lot of uncertainty. And I think there's a lot of pressure of trying to figure out what's going on with this economy that we're in now. You know, so we have these labor shortages, the consumer confidence isn't really quite back to what we would think. So there's, there, there are signs where you can see parts of the economy where it seems like we're rebounding. And then, you know, areas with like supply chain disruptions, low returns of labor back to the workforce that I think will keep pressure to keep the interest rates low. Um, and, and the Fed has said that they're willing to let, you know, a little bit of inflation creep back in before they're going to get really aggressive about raising rates. And so, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to, I'm optimistic that it'll continue, but always uh, I want to encourage people to sort of be guardedly optimistic. And it looks like at least in farmland markets, that, that tends to be the case. I don't, I don't think you see a lot of people that are out there looking at the most optimistic projection and, and betting everything on it. Generally, farmland purchases are, are, purchasers are uh, a little bit cautiously optimistic. So touching on policies a little bit, how has COVID-19 been a part of this picture? Oh, you know, that's a really good question. Um, so I, I think about it initially. So I, I worked with Craig in his last year here on the survey, and it was like during 2020, summer 2020, like kind of right at the height of uncertainty of COVID. And at that time, people were really worried, like what's going to happen with farmland markets if you can't have auctions? People can't just freely go visit parcels they're interested in taking a look at. Are we going to see just a complete reduction? Uh, in the supply, but you know, at the time, then everybody was sort of involved in the farmland sales area. Was like, this has actually been way better than we thought, and, and I thought we would see a little bit more sort of cautious behavior, right? So, if we think about the recession in two thousand eight and nine, one of the things that happened there is a lot of people that owned farmland it reduced their incentive to sell because, like, we're going to wait just a couple of years, right? Prices are going up. This is a stable source of income compared to the other parts of your income that might be. Uh, might be a little bit more uncertain. And so you see kind of a delay in people wanting to sell. So I thought maybe we'd kind of see that again, but it, it doesn't seem to be that, I mean, there's, you know, some signs pointing to, you know, a little bit of sort of still kind of muted supply for sale, but it, it hasn't really changed that much. Although I think a lot of the things that are gonna be the big economic changes that have come out of COVID, things like, you know, what does work look like? What does food consumption look like? You know how much of it is like pre-COVID versus how much is like now. What are we gonna What are we gonna keep and learn? Uh, there'll be some possible changes that'll, that'll show up in the land markets, but um, so far it hasn't really. It, it hasn't been, I think, kind of as big of a uh, disruptor to the market as people kind of feared. So, Todd, uh, I think I think you've done a little bit of uh, examination of this farmland as an investment versus alternative investments. I mean, where, where does farmland fit in that spectrum? So, yeah, there's an area I've worked in a lot because I, I, I find it very interesting. The, the short answer is farmland sort of sits in the middle. Um, if you think of things like equities and stock markets, you can often get a higher return than you could by buying farmland, but you do that with a much higher variance, right? So there's a lot more uncertainty um, you may you may lose you may win big you may lose big, and so it's it it's much less risky than sort of equities markets, and then the most extreme would be sort of like savings bonds, right? So, like my grandparents that survived the depression, they every, only thing they bought were bonds, right? So 
you have a fixed contract. If you hold this money in this account for this long, you're going to get this much at the end. And those tend to have very low returns, but also almost no risk to them at all. And so farmland kind of sits in between equities and bonds, where it, it adds a little bit of risk compared to the, the, the most guaranteed investments, but it's not as risky as what we see in sort of um, you know, equities markets. Uh, the other thing is that farmland tends to be very low correlation or negative correlation with other kinds of investments. So thinking again about, like we're talking about farmland prices uh, and around that sort of 2008 to 10, you know, we had the rest of the economy tanking. Uh, it was a really good time for the ag sector. And so the returns to farmland were uh, going up when the returns a lot of other things were going down. So that's what we call sort of an inverse correlation. They're moving in the opposite direction. And that's something if you have a portfolio of investments, you really want, right? So you don't want to have, you, you wouldn't want to invest all of your money in um, different companies from one industry because then they're all correlated together. And so if we all, um, you know, if we all switch to electric vehicles, then it's going to disrupt all of the automotive technology existing. I want to pretty close to the same. And so it's, it's a really nice diversification benefit. And I think that's why a lot of people that, that you know, there are a lot of people that inherit farmland. That's actually you know, about half of the transactions that occur. And a lot of people that inherit farmland are hesitant to ever want to get rid of it because of those, you know, low stable, you know, low but stable returns and inversely correlated or no correlation with other things. So it's independent of the rest of the economy. Um, and so that can be a really nice piece of, a, of an investment holding portfolio. All right. Fantastic. Dr. Keithy, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. You've been listening to the Purdue Agricultural Economics Podcast. You can visit the AgEcon department at Purdue at www.agecon.purdue.edu. You can like them on Facebook and you can follow them on Twitter. Hey, everybody have a safe fall.